You got that right. I know all about maturity. Or lack thereof, I should say. But hey, uh, it's my first time speaking this semester, so I know we got a lot of new people in here. I thought it'd be important to introduce you to my family, and hopefully I'll get to meet yours throughout the year too. So this is my family here up on the screen. Uh, there's my beautiful wife of 20 plus years, Heather. She's right back there. Hi, We've been with Compass and with Thrive since its inception. And my, on the right there is my beautiful daughter, Sayla. She's 16 years old. She's a junior over at Tesoro High School where she plays soccer. She's involved in a True North ministry here at church, right here in this very room. On the left is my son, Seth. He's 14. He's a freshman at Tesoro High School where he plays football, where he just lost to the Mission Viejo Diablos today, 55 to nothing. And then finally, last but definitely not least, this is our little blessed surprise baby. Some 14 years after our last one, uh, God saw fit to bless us with a uh, newborn, little Josiah, and he's six months old. He's not involved in any ministry yet, but uh, kids, man, yeah, exactly. So that's our family. But what I like about the picture is it's a good segue into our passage tonight, because tonight our passage, John's going to address little children. We got one of those right there, little infant. He's going to address young men. We got Seth's almost a young man, pretty much, 14. And then he's, got, he's going to address fathers, and you see a father there. So it's a great segue to our passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. So go ahead and turn there, if you could, in your Bibles, and we'll get into it. <clears throat> 1 John 2, we're going to read 12 through 14, as Ryan said. <clears throat> 1 John 2, 12 through 14, it says this. Obviously, John writing, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And he starts again, and he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Let's pray as we get into our message. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this passage, God. Thank you for these different levels of spiritual maturity that once we come to know you personally, God, that uh, you want to develop us. And I know we start off in this infant stage, God, this little children stage, but you want to grow us up into young men and young women and eventually into fathers or mothers in the faith, God. So we pray you do that tonight as we study your word together. We begin that maturation process, God, and we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, like I just mentioned in the prayer there, John's not obviously talking to literal little children. He's not talking to two-year-old toddlers and stuff. They're talking about your spiritual maturity. The reality is you could be in here and be 70 years old tonight, but if you're a new believer, you would be in the category of little children even as a 70-year-old man or 70-year-old woman. But it's interesting because I noticed that John says one thing to the fathers, although he says it twice for emphasis. He says just one thing to the fathers. He says two things to the children, and he says three things to the to the young men. The one thing he says to the fathers, he says, you know him who's from the beginning. We'll talk about that. Two things to the children. He says, you, your sins are forgiven for his namesake and you know the father. Then three things to the young men. He said, you're strong. He said, the word of God abides in you. And he says, you've overcome the evil one. I'm going to start tonight the way that John did and start by talking to the youngest of us, the little children. He says he's writing to these little children in the faith because their sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I just want to start with a show of hands. If you've known the Lord here for less than two years, 
Meaning, what I mean by that, knowing the Lord, is if you've repented of your sins and put your trust in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, would you please raise your hand? Raise your hand if that describes you. Something to be celebrated. See a few over here? A few over here? That's awesome. That's worthy of one, right? <clears throat> you would be in the little children category, and that's a great thing. That's where we all start in the Christian faith, right? Reality is, if that describes you, then that means back in 2012, or about the length of a cell phone contract, the reality is your sins back then in 2012, your sins hadn't been forgiven yet for his name's sake. You didn't know the Father, but now you do. Matter of fact, uh, Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2. If you could go ahead and turn over there, Ephesians chapter 2. This is what your life looked like just two years ago, and this is where he's brought you. Ephesians 2, we'll begin in verse 1. He says this, and you, back in 2012, or 2013, however long you've known him for, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and we're going to talk about him later, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature, we were children all right, but we were by nature children of wrath, children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's where the good news, here's where things changed. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That's what happened with you in 2012, 2013. He made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And I love when he says there in our passage back in 1 John, when he says he's forgiven your sins for his name's sake. It's by grace you've been saved. You brought nothing to the table. Our passage here says that you were dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And I love that old saying. Someone says that Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. Reality is he did this for his name's sake. But not only did he forgive you for his name's sake, it also says, he goes on to say to the little children, that he's writing to you because you come to know the Father. You know the Father. And because you do, you now have that father-son or that father-daughter relationship with God that you didn't have before. And I don't know how your relationship to your earthly father is or how it was. Maybe he was distant. But the Bible says we can have an intimacy with God and it goes so far as to say the intimacy is something that we can call him Abba. Father. Romans 8.15, if you want that passage to jot down. We can call him Abba, Father. You go, well, what's Abba? It's not that sweetest supergroup from the 70s, Dancing Queen of Mamma Mia. Abba is actually an Aramaic word which best translates daddy, right? There's an intimacy there, a father and child intimacy. Again, another show of hands. How many of you in here have young children, meaning a toddler or younger? You have young children, raise your hand. Almost everybody, right? At least half. We have toddlers, are, are infants, right? I'm in that category too, much to my surprise, but much, <laughs> glad to be there. <clears throat> There's an intimacy there. Your child knows you, and you know how I know that? Because I've seen over there in children's ministry or in the nursery when you go to pick them up. I see when your face shows up in the door, they light up. While they're waiting for you, they're looking around, other parents are coming, they're trying to see around the other parents, and as soon as they see you, not only does their face light up, they come running to you that's my dad or that's my mom. There's an intimacy there. They know their father. They know their mother. We, 
as little children, we need to stop seeing our heavenly father as stern and austere. Is he holy? Absolutely. Is he to be revered? No doubt. But we really need to realize that he's our Abba father. He is our daddy. And if that sounds irreverent to you, it's not. It's biblical. Like I said, look up Romans 8.15. Writer of the Hebrews said it like this. You don't have to look it up. I'll just put it up here on the screen. If you got that, Jeremiah, there you go. Tell me if this sounds like intimacy with the Father, right? He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Who's sitting on that throne of grace? Your heavenly Father. Does that sound stern and austere when he's inviting you to come with confidence to draw near to the one who sits on the throne? Your heavenly Father, he says, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Intimacy there. Now it's time for a first sidebar of the evening. Pastor Mike does them, Pastor Elliot does them, so I've been given permission to do sidebars. Now I've got a couple of them. This is the first one, sidebar. If you're one of those ones who raised your hand, you do things that are age-appropriate, spiritually speaking, and that makes sense because you're new in Christ. I get that. Thing is, others of you have known the Lord for a long time. You've known him for 5, 10, 15 years. And you're still acting and behaving like little children. It would be like this. Introduce you to little Josiah, right? He's six months old. So guess what he does all day? Drinks his little bottle with a formula, milk, whatever's in it, right? That's appropriate for him. He's six months old. It makes sense. Can you imagine if Seth came home from school? from high school, and I go, hey, Seth, how was your day today, buddy? Da, 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 da. And then he goes in and get, goes to the fridge and grabs himself a sippy cup. I would be concerned because that's not normal. <laughs> that's not, that's not age appropriate. Just one verse on this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Turn over there. This isn't to discourage anybody. This is to hopefully encourage you. If you find yourself in this category to grow up. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 11. Remember, this is just a sidebar, right? But it's an important sidebar. Ephesians, I mean, Hebrews 5, 11. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, about this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time, because you've known the Lord 5, 10, 15 years or whatever, by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. You're still on the bottle, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's time to grow up, or as our earthly parents used to tell us, act your age. You need to act our age if you find yourself in that category. So put it this way, number one, our outline this is back to the little children who do act their age, which is appropriate. Put it this way, little children rejoice that you know the Father in an intimate way, in an Abba Father way. And rejoice with all the benefits that come with that too. You now have eternal life. You have that intimacy with God that you didn't have before. You have someone to go through your trials with. You have someone who's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And then jot this passage down, Psalm 103. It talks about all the benefits of knowing the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Read that tonight when you get a chance before you go to bed. <clears throat> Little children. Then John's going to shift gears and go back to our passage there in 1 John 2. 
Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your mobile device. I just wanted to say mobile device. Um, 1 John 2, verses 13 and 14, he writes to the fathers and he says the same thing both times. He says that they know him who's from the beginning. He says it twice for emphasis. They know him who's from the beginning. Well, well, Scott, didn't you just say that John was writing to the little children because they know the father? Yeah. And now you're saying he's writing to the fathers because they know him who's from the beginning, presumably also the father? Yeah. So then isn't John essentially just saying the same thing to both the children and the father? My answer to that would be yes and no. Well, it's true. They both know the father. Both groups know the father. They both know God. The depth of the father's knowledge of God far surpasses the little children's knowledge of God, not positionally, but experientially. What I mean by that is, for example, again, Josiah and Seth, they're both my sons. Seth's not, I mean, Josiah's not less my son because he's six months old. He's got every bit to the right of sonship that Seth does. They're both my sons. So positionally, they're the same. But experientially, who do you think knows me better? Obviously, Seth does. We've had years to cultivate a relationship, while Josiah and I've only had a few months. The only way that you're ever going to mature in your faith is to spend time with your father. For example, just this weekend, speaking of Seth, the two of us, just the two of us, we went over to Buffalo Wild Wings. We watched some major league playoffs, right? As soon as we were done with dinner, we we were at the kaleidoscope. We walked over and we saw a movie together. Then Saturday night, we sat down on the couch. We watched a little college football together. We spent time together. It takes time to cultivate a relationship. And the same thing, tonight if you're in the little children category, even in the young men category, which we're going to talk to later, just realize that it's going to take time to become a father in the faith. But it's not a passive time where you sit around and do nothing. Seth and I didn't grow closer this weekend simply by, him being, by virtue of him being my son. We grew closer by purposefully spending time together. In the case of this weekend, we spent a lot of time together. That's how we drew closer. That's how he grew in his knowledge of me and my, my, me and my knowledge of him. In the same way, little children, young men, you need to spend time with God, and that's done by spending time together with him in his word. That's how you get to know God better. And little children... If I were to ask you how many times you've read through your Bible, you might answer, well, you know, I'm about halfway through right now, or maybe I just finished for my first time. And again, that would be age appropriate. You go, yeah, that's great. That makes sense. But if we were to ask the fathers in this room how many times they've read the Bible, some of them are going to say, I've read it five times, 10 times, 15 times, cover to cover. We have one guy in here that I talked to that's read the Bible over 20 times, cover to cover, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Can you imagine all that God's taught these fathers over the years? Have there been trials? Yeah. Have there been mountaintops, valleys? Yeah. Highs and lows? Absolutely. Persecution? No doubt. And yet they're still here. They're still standing. They've withstood the test of time. The reason I tell you this is because from time to time I'll see some someone from the first Bible study that I was ever in. This was 26 years ago when I first got saved. And I'm 21 years, I was 21 at the time, so do the math. And, and I'll see somebody from that first Bible study that I was ever in. I haven't seen in a long time. And I'll say, hey man, how's so-and-so doing? And they've been walking with the Lord. Said, no, dude, they, they walked away a long time ago. It's just a phase for them. 
They were like one of those soils on the thorny ground, choked out by the cares of this world, and shallow soil. Discouraging. But then I'll ask about somebody else. One guy in particular asked about it. I go, well, how's Frank doing, man? What's Frank up to? I go, oh, that's a different story. Frank, not only has he matured so much in his faith, you know what he's doing now? I go, what's he doing now? He goes, he's up in Sacramento. He leads Bible studies for Congress. Congressmen come to him and he leads them in Bible study and gives them biblical counsel before they go into session. So not only has he matured in his own faith, he's mentoring other people now. In this case, Congress members. And that's really encouraging when you hear that because him and people like him, they know him who's from the beginning. They realize that he's unchanging through the years. This wasn't a phase for them. And people like that, they haven't wavered in their faith. And we have people like that in this room right now. We call them mentors. So if you're a mentor in here right now, could you please stand up? If you're a mentor, please stand. <clears throat> All right. You can stay standing. Um, Tim. This is Tim Jarvis right here. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question, Tim. You've known the Lord a long time. Is that correct? Has it been easy at all times? Has it been easy? Not easy. Let me ask you this. Has it been worth it? Let me ask you more specifically. Has he been worth it? Absolutely. All right, thanks, Tim. You can sit down. <clears throat> Let's put it this way. Number two on your outline. Thank you, mentors. We appreciate you guys. Um, I'll put it this way. Number two on your outline. Fathers, rejoice in the depth of your intimacy with the Father. In, rejoice in the depth of your intimacy with the Father. <clears throat> And guys, it's not just mentors. You don't have to be an official mentor to be a father, right? If you've known the Lord a long time and you've matured in your faith to this point, you might be one. But guess what every father has? What does every father have? Children, right? They have kids. My question, if you're really going to be a father as far as a biblical father, that means you need children. It doesn't mean you need literal children necessarily, but you need spiritual children, like a Paul Timothy type relationship. Do you have anybody like that? Is there anybody that you're mentoring? Is there anybody that you're taking through par partners or anybody that you're discipling? If you really want to be a father in the faith, you're going to need someone like that in your life. That's how you go from maybe you're in the young man phase right now. If you want to go to the father phase, you need to be a father. It's interesting. He didn't say here young, I mean, older men. He said young men. He didn't say, what about the older men? No, he said fathers. I think there's an assumption there. There's an implication that you're going to have children, spiritual children, if you will. So... That's little children. That's fathers. Now we're going to look at the final group that John addresses, the young men or young women. Look back at 1 John 2.14. 1 John 2.14. He says this. He says, I write to you, young men, because one, you're strong. Two, the word of God abides in you. Three, you've overcome the evil one. With a demographic like Thrive, I'm going to assume that most of us fit this category. We saw that we have some little children here. We saw that we have some fathers in here, but most of us would fit in this category of young men or young women. But I like the encouragement he gives the young men and the young women, and I noticed that you can't do two of these without the other. In other words, you can't be strong and you can't overcome the evil one unless you do the third one, which is let the word of God abide in you. That's how you overcome the evil one. And speaking of the evil one, 
Apparently, he's not too in vogue anymore. Matter of fact, I read this article just this week. We got a copy of it up here on the screen. <clears throat> it's pretty sad. Most American Christians do not believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. Most American people don't believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exists. I would get that, but most American Christians don't believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exists. I showed this article to my son, Seth. And he goes, Dad, do they read their Bibles? And I said, good point, right? No, they surveyed in this survey here, they surveyed over 1,800 professed Christians and 59% or roughly 1,000 said that, quote, Satan was not a living being, but is simply a symbol of evil. Read that again. Satan's not a living being. He's just a symbol of evil. To me, that's like saying ISIS, they don't really exist. They're just a symbol of evil. As on an almost weekly basis, they're beheading people and taking over entire villages. No, the reality is Satan is real and we need to overcome him, according to John. Speaking of overcoming, those that do know me know that we, I, our family loves college football, loves it, right? And I noticed a couple of weeks ago, Ole Miss, we're not Ole Miss fans, but Ole Miss beat the number one team in the country depending on what poll you looked at, they beat the number one team in the country, Alabama. Hope we don't have any Alabama fans in here because we despise Alabama. But anyway, <clears throat> Ole Miss beat the number one team in the country, Alabama. Well, next week, my daughter, Sayla, and I, we're going to Knoxville to watch our favorite team, Tennessee, play Alabama. Do you think it would be wise to look at the game film from the Ole Miss game and see how they were able to overcome the most powerful team in the country, Alabama. Would that be wise for our coaching staff to do that? And I trust that they are. And if we're going to overcome a powerful enemy, you think it'd be wise to watch the game film of someone who's already overcome him? Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at his example. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I apologize to any Alabama fans. Not really. Matthew 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. This is the prototype. If we're going to overcome the evil one, which 59% of Christians say don't, doesn't exist, Jesus certainly believed that he existed. And we're talking about an encounter with him right now. If we're going to overcome him, we need to look at the prototype, which is Jesus himself. Beginning of verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, a real devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, because that's what he is, he's a tempter, he came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Quick sidebar, quick sidebar. That verse right there, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Those of you who raised your hands earlier when asked if you were little children, this is a verse that God used in my life to take me from a little child to a young man where I currently reside right now. Because when I was a, a young Christian, I'd known the Lord for about a year, and I'd read through the New Testament, poked around in the Old Testament, but then I read this verse, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And God spoke to me, not audibly, because he doesn't speak to me audibly, but he spoke to me, just impressed upon my heart that, Scott, you haven't read every word that's come out of my mouth, and you need to do that. And I picked up my Bible, and I started in Genesis 1 and read through Revelation 22. When I got done, I started back over. So if, little children, if you want to go to young man status, that's what I would encourage you to do tonight. It's a quick sidebar. We're back. 
verse 5. Then the devil took him to the, whole, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus again said, said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So once again, devil's persistent. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. That's it. How did Jesus consistently overcome Satan when he was tempted? The word, I heard somebody say it over here, by utilizing the word of God and eventually Satan fled. And, and you say, you know, might throw a flag on the play there and say, wait a minute, that, Scott, Jesus had an unfair advantage. He's God in the human form and he's easy for him to say it is written because he's the writer and he knows what he wrote. And so that's why he was able to, you know, withstand these temptations with a written word because he wrote the word, he knows it. But wait a minute, who are we dressing here? We're dressing young men. So there's an assumption there, young men or young women, that you've known the Lord for at least a few years minimum. Is that a safe assumption? So you should have a pretty good handle on what the Word of God says and how to utilize it when you're tempted. I think that's a fair assessment. Let me just tell you how, show you how that works. Let's talk to the ladies first, the young women of the group. Think about some of the things that ladies might struggle with. And I don't know, because I'm not a lady, but I heard a rumor that girls can tend to struggle with gossip and slander. Any girls struggle with gossip and slander? No show of hands. I've heard that. I'm speaking in generality, so if that's not you, I apologize. The reality is Satan, or the evil one, would love to use your gossip. He would love to use your tongue to destroy relationships and to cause division. That's what Satan wants to do in your life. He would love it. Matter of fact, James, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It's James 3.6. says this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and it itself is set on fire by hell. You see how the evil one from our passage is actively involved in trying to use your tongue? Tear people down, cause division. So remember he said young, young men, or in this case young women, you've overcome the evil one. How do you overcome him when it comes to slander or gossip? Well, if the word of God is abiding in you, as our passage said, should go like this. Satan comes, he tempts you, you're getting ready to go into a group of other gals maybe and you're tempted to gossip or to slander. And you say, you know what? Wait a minute, it is written. And you're able to call up verses like Ephesians 4.29. We'll put it up here on the screen. And you go, huh, okay, I'm getting ready to go in this group. I know there's a tendency there, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth, but only such as is good for building up. That sounds like the opposite of gossip and slander, doesn't it? I'm going to use my tongue to build other people up instead of tear them down. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who are here. I'm going to speak grace into people's life instead of division, instead of causing division. Ladies, do you think if you applied this verse even just for the next week, that Satan would be vanquished in all that he wants to do with your tongue to tear others down? You think you would be overcoming him? And John would be able to say to you, hey, young women, you've overcome the evil one? Absolutely. 
Let's shift to the guys now. Your turn. What's something that guys tend to struggle with? I've heard a rumor guys tend to struggle with lust, right? Satan, the evil one, would love nothing more than to use lust in your life to rip your family from you and to destroy your intimacy that you currently have with God. But if the word of God abides in you, you'll be able to resist him when he dangles that carrot in front of you. At this point, you might say, you know, Scott, you know, I'm not like my wife. She's able to memorize scripture better than I am. That's why she's able to throw out passages like Ephesians 4.29 or passages that apply to whatever she's dealing with in her life. But I don't have that ability to memorize verses like she does. I can't call up chapter and verse. Okay, if you've known the Lord a while, hopefully you can. But if not, give you the benefit of the doubt. Can you at least, as you've read through God's word, remember stories from the Bible that relate to what you're going through? How about David and Bathsheba? Can you recall that story? If I were to do word association and I say, David, you'd probably say Goliath. And I'd say, okay, someone else, Bathsheba, right? The two things David's known for, his greatest victory, his greatest defeat. What happened to David when he fell to lust? Massive consequences. Is David right with God? Absolutely. Is he a man after God's own heart? Absolutely. Are we going to see David in heaven? Without a doubt. Were there consequences that started with lust for him that followed him for the rest of his life? Yeah. I gave a message on this a few years ago when we were still over in the other room over here in the compass room. Um, we're doing our Bible All-Star Series. Remember that, Ryan? And we're talking about David. And one of the points on the outline was consider the severe consequences. Severe consequences. David had him, and if you fall to the same sin that he did to lust, don't, don't think you're special and that you won't fall to him. I've seen it firsthand. You'll lose your wife. You'll lose the respect of your children, your community, and possibly you'll have your wife meet some other man who's better than you, and your children will start calling him daddy. If you don't believe that's true, my neighbor three doors down, that very thing happened to him verbatim. And maybe you know someone like that too. not even to mention the loss of your intimacy with God. You think about David, back to David and Bathsheba. He didn't have fellowship with God for almost nine months. This was a man after God's own heart. He was out of fellowship with God for nearly nine months. Can you imagine? Then when you're tempted, we need to recall stories like these, and we need to apply what we've learned from these stories, and we need to overcome the evil one who wants to destroy you and destroy your family. Jesus said it like this. He said the thief, speaking of the evil one, speaking of the devil, he said the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants from your life and from my life. So I put it this way, number three on our outline, the way that we're going to overcome him, and this goes for men and women, even though it says young men. I just plagiarized this right out of Psalm 119.9, so it's too long. It probably won't fit on your line, so you'll have to write underneath the line. Young men, Put it this way, keep your way pure by guarding it according to God's word. That's stolen right out of Psalm 119, verse 9. Young men or young women, keep your way pure by guarding it according to God's word. I'll let you finish writing there for a second because I know that was long. But something I skipped from the three things that John shared with the young man, one of the things I skipped was he said that you're strong. Important to note that they weren't strong in and of themselves. Matter of fact, 
Ephesians 6.10, I'll just read it to you, says this. It says that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You can't overcome the evil one. And you're not going to graduate to these other levels in Christ by relying on yourself, on your own power. You have to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Our strength comes from our dependence on Him. Matter of fact, look at your worksheet. What's your worksheet say tonight? What's the top of it say, the title? I don't have one here in front of me. What's it say on the title? Our reliance on God. That's the title of the message tonight, right? We need to rely on Him. Whether you're a child, little children, whether you're a father, or whether you're a young man, it all boils down to that. Do we rely on God? Do we rely on His Word? There's a fourth, quarter, fourth category that we didn't talk about tonight. And maybe you find yourself in this fourth category. What I mean by that is you're not in the little children category, you're not in the young man category, and you're not in the father category. Matter of fact, you're not in the family of God category. And maybe that's where you find yourself tonight. And back like that Ephesians 2 passage that we read, it says that you're currently a child of wrath. And you go, oh, here we go. Here we go. Come to church and hear about the fire and brimstone. I knew it. No, 2 Peter 3.9 says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will for your life, that you would come to repentance, that you would join the family of God. That takes an instant. Salvation happens in an instant. This other stuff we're talking about, which is called sanctification, that happens over a lifetime. But you can get saved in an instant by repenting of your sin and putting your trust in Christ and his finished work on the, Christ, on the cross. If you're wondering, well, I don't know exactly how that works, we're going to encourage you to talk to your small group leader tonight. Get a hold of them. They'll be glad to take you through it. You could talk to Ryan Holly. You could talk to myself. Any one of us would be glad to talk to you tonight. All right? The rest of us, let's apply what we've learned tonight, this week, in God's Word, and let's continue this maturation process in the faith. Okay? Agreed? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for tonight, and uh, thank you for all these stages. God, I thank you for little children in the faith. It's so encouraging. Um, it just reinvigorates all of us to see people so fired up for you, and it's convicting at times, God. Just that excitement, uh, uh, like our first love, as Revelation talks about, God. We don't want to leave our first love. We want to celebrate our first love. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. What a great thing it is to be saved, God. And then, God, the Father, we're so thankful that we have fathers even in this group, people that have known you a long time and have persevered through persecution and trials and temptations and yet they're still standing God and they're able to mentor and disciple and train us thank you for fathers and then most of us here God are young men young women and God your desire for us is that we would uh, abide in your word God that we'd be strong that we'd overcome the evil one and and we know from our passage tonight God that we can't do that in and of ourselves. we have to rely on you and on your strength and the power of your might so we pray you would help us to do that this week God we'd grow up in our knowledge of you and we pray this all in Jesus name Amen.